Pastor Ryan, bring the word to us today. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope that you are happy all the day and have the joy of the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit of our lives. We've been learning that in Galatians chapter 5, and now we're in Galatians chapter 6 today. We'll be finishing up the book of Galatians over the next uh, several weeks. We're now in chapter 6. And Galatians 6, it, it shows us practical ways we can live and walk by the Spirit of God in our lives. We were told, remember, to not live by the, the, the deeds of the flesh, to not seek those things, but to be led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, have the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives, which is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives. And now we're going to see how to walk by the Spirit, really three specific ways, by one, by helping each other when one of us falls to sin. We'll see how to walk by the Spirit by providing for your pastors and those who labor to teach you the Word of God. And we'll see how to walk by, by the Spirit by doing good to everyone and living to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we're going to focus on the first three of these today in Galatians chapter 6, uh, in verses 1 through 5. And this text specifically shows us a picture of how to help each other when one of us falls to sin. Look at Galatians chapter 6, starting on verse 1. It says, Brothers, if, any, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. And so this tells us how to deal with someone who has fallen to sin in the life of the church, like a married man in the church who is found spending the weekend with a woman who's not his wife, or a dating couple in the church who is known to be living together and in a sexual relationship outside of marriage, or it's discovered that a woman in the church has an addiction to illegal drugs. Or the source of the gossip in the church has been discovered and identified. Or it's a known fact in the church that a man has no self-control and often loses his temper with his wife or with his family. These are some specifics of times people fall to sin and how we are to help restore them to a walk with God. Now, as you look at the text, notice who is in danger in the passage of Scripture. Did you notice who's the one that's in danger? It's interesting that the majority of this paragraph is a warning to believers who are spiritual. It's a warning to believers concerning pride in restoring those who have fallen. There's, not a, there's no instructions for the one who has fallen to sin. Did you notice that? 
And I think it's because pride and self-exaltation, is it's like a poison in the church. And it can spring from legalism, which is what we saw earlier in the book. The legalists, the Judaizers, wanted to boast in the flesh, boast in their law-keeping, boast in circumcision. So they, they wanted reasons to boast and be prideful. So it can, it can spring from legalism. <clears throat> it can also spring from liberty, from freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And so often we can be prideful in that freedom and we can boast about that freedom and even use it to harm others. And rub it in their face. So pride can come from liberty as well. And so we're being warned here that each of us should be on guard and constantly check our hearts against pride and boasting and this type of evil. And so we have an immediate application of how we can walk by the Spirit of God right here is to help those who have fallen, help restore them and do them in a way that's gentle, in a spirit of gentleness. And at the same time, guarding our own hearts against pride. So verse 1 is really about seeking restoration and not retribution. Seeking restoration, not retribution. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So we're given specific instructions concerning how to walk in the Spirit as we were commanded in chapter 5. <clears throat> and it's really an intersection of how those who have the fruit of the Spirit are to relate to those who are in the flesh. Because those who, you know, the one that's fallen to sin likely is in the flesh. They're not walking in the Spirit. Otherwise, they wouldn't have fallen and had a transgression or a sin in their lives. And so here's an intersection of, those who are walking in the Spirit, this is how you deal with those who are in the flesh. This is how you work with them. This is how you help them. This, you're, you're to have a spirit of gentleness to restore them. To overcome the work of the flesh in their life. We're to restore them. And this word in the Greek, it, it's a word that really means to, to mend or to repair like setting a broken bone so that it can heal correctly. You're taking what is broken and, and you're putting it back together in order to mend it, to heal it. And we do that by taking them to Jesus. And I'll say it again, we do it in a spirit of gentleness. We want to pray for them. That they would turn from their sin and walk in the spirit of Christ. So often we, we try to correct others and restore others. We just go right at them. Bible says this, Bible says this, Bible says this, Bible says this. Do this, do this, do this. We don't even start by praying. But God's the one who changes our hearts. So we start by praying. We pray for them. Pray for them. And ask Jesus to fix their problem. Ask Jesus to do that work. And then we come alongside in the spirit of gentleness. Now, there's a consistent theme in the New Testament to show love and gentleness to those who are stumbling. We see it in Ephesians 4. Paul writes this, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering. So here you see some of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Long-suffering is patience, gentleness, bearing with one another in love. 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so you can see there in Ephesians 4, there's this idea of unity in the spirit through humility. We have unity through humility for the glory of God and Jesus. Romans 5, we see this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, that, that, that's a mind change for most of us. We, by nature, in the flesh, live to please ourselves. And we do it quite naturally and quite easily. <laughs> and we don't have to work hard at that. It's what you're like usually setting your mind on from the moment you open your eyes in the morning. How can I please myself today? Now, you don't think that way. At least you hope you don't, right? Because you don't want to seem like such a fleshly, carnal person. But that, that's our natural tendency is I want to live to please myself. But the Bible teaches us the opposite of that, right? We live to please others, to serve others through love. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. And so in Romans 15, we can see we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Someone has fallen to sin. And so we bear with that. We, we work to pick them up. We put aside our own desires for pleasing ourselves in that moment in time. And we say, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help this brother or sister at this place in their life, in this season in their life. I'm going to, to help them. Even if it's inconvenient for me. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, Now we exhort you, brothers, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for both yourselves and for all. So we see this throughout the Bible. Now in Matthew 18, some of you might be thinking this, well, this is, you know, the, the classic church discipline text, Matthew 18, verse 15. We're given specific steps that should be taken when seeking to restore a wayward brother or sister to a right walk with the Lord. First, you go and confront that brother one-on-one. -on -one. Go talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. You don't take it to Facebook and Nextdoor and social media to Instagrams and all that stuff first. You go talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. Go talk to them. And if they don't agree then, if they don't you know, understand then and they don't take any steps towards repentance or restoration then, then you take a spiritual person with you and Two of you, two or three, go and, and talk to them. Try to help them see. Try to, in a spirit, again, in a spirit of gentleness, seek to restore them. Then if they still don't repent, then you take it to the church. Take it to the church. And they, you know, the church, the whole church body then is, is, is working this, in a spirit of gentleness to restore this brother or sister to a right walk with God, to walk in the Spirit. And if they still don't repent, even them, and the whole church is, is behind this, well, then what do you do? Take them out of the town and throw stones at them, right? <laughs> That's what a lot of us want to do. Sometimes we get in the flesh, we get angry. No, you treat them like a tax collector. Now, that's an interesting way to say things, right? Teach them like a, uh, treat them like a tax collector. Well, how did Jesus treat tax collectors. He called one of them as a disciple. <laughs> he was 
known to hang out with tax collectors and sinners and eat with them. Oh, can you even imagine? Jesus, what are you doing over there? Eat with those tax collectors and sinners. Oh, can't do that, man. It's not going to get you more subscribers. Come on, Jesus. It's not going to get you more followers and likes. No. Don't you know better? I have to come up with a new branding campaign for you, Jesus. You can't be doing that. The Bible says treat them like tax collectors. And so basically, you know, that's someone who's like an evangelistic prospect. You know, I got to share the gospel with this person. I'm going to love them. I'm going to still love them in a spirit of gentleness. I'm not going to accept the sin as it's, like it's okay. Jesus never did that. What did he always tell people? Go and sin no more. Right? So he wasn't agreeing with their sin, but he wasn't bashing them either. He showed them love and gentleness and kindness. Matter of fact, the only people Jesus was really harsh with was the religious leaders. <laughs> you and me, we're the modern-day Pharisees if we're not careful. Those are the ones he was harsh with. So we treat them with gentleness, with kindness, <clears throat> and we seek to restore them. Now, this confrontation of sin, it has to be done. We can't just act like sin doesn't matter. And I see way too much of that in the church today. We've become so accepting and so tolerant that now we, we act like sin doesn't matter. And that's, that's wrong. We cannot be that way. Otherwise, we're just like the world, and we don't look any different than the world. And no one's hungry or thirsty for, for that type of behavior. They get that out in the world. And so we must, we must take a stand for righteousness. But it's the way we do it, brothers and sisters. we got to do it in a spirit of gentleness and humility and meekness and love. And not anger and wrath and malice. And so we do. We must confront sin. We must do that if the church is to remain healthy and clean and be that spotless bride of Christ. It matters. Now, as we study this text, it's interesting that the instructions are not given to the one caught in sin, like I mentioned earlier. It's given to the one that's spiritual. Now, here God's concerned more with our attitudes than the one who has fallen to sins. We are the ones warned of the danger. And he tells us here to do this and to examine ourselves or look to ourselves. Watch yourself. Keep watch on yourself. It's the word in the Greek. It's the word skapos, which is like the scope on a gun for the hunters in the room. It's something that magnifies and, and makes you see things clearly, even at a distance. We're to pay careful attention to ourselves, our own attitudes in this. And our goal is to be restoration, not kicking someone when they're down or trying to make them look bad. If that's not our goal. Our goal is loving restoration. And the teaching, it's not just for pastors. So often we, we think this is just for the pastors to do, right? Ooh, I know I found out something about somebody. I need you to pray for them, and I'm going to go tell the pastors, and the pastors will deal with this. It's not just for the pastors. It's for each one of us. 
when we discover that a brother or sister is, is in the flesh and has fallen to sin, it's for each one of us, you and me alike, to go and do this work of restoration and prayer and humbly working to restore them. It's not something you just forward on to the pastors. It's for all of us to do. And again, we need to do it in a spirit of building them up, not tearing them down. Our goal ultimately is what? To love our neighbor as ourself. To treat other people the way we would want to be treated. That's the golden rule. Look at verse 2. Love your neighbor. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now here, burdens probably refers to a wide range of difficulties and includes the temptation or the sin that was discussed in verse 1. And we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. It's To bear is to have sympathy. It's when we have empathy for each other. We can feel each other's difficulties and pains. It's almost as if you, you see that problem that they have of sin and you almost it's almost like you're you, you accept it as your own like you really want to help them you're going to pick them up and carry them like in the parable of the good samaritan the man was broken and bloody on the road half dead the samaritan picked him up put him on his animal carried him to the hotel and that's bearing someone else's burdens it's not pulling out your bible Throwing a few verses at him and then walking away. That, that's not how this is done. And, and this can take time. So often, too, you know, we want the microwave solution. It's like, oh, yes, I, I, I see that they're walking and they have this, this trouble with sin. I'm going to give them a few verses and they better change right away. Because that's how it works, right? It's like the genie in the lamp. I'll throw a few verses, I'll rub the lamp, and then the wish comes true and then everything's set along uh, and is right. Well, that's not how people change typically. They didn't get to where they were probably overnight, and they're probably not going to get out of it overnight. And so it takes patience and, and, and long-suffering and bearing with someone. That's why he says, bear one another's burdens. It's not just like, you know, putting up for it, with it for a day. No, this might take some time. This might take weeks or months to help this person. And in doing this, we fulfill the law of Christ. Interesting phrase for Galatians to say the law of Christ, since all the other references to the law have a negative connotation. It's like, he's saying, look, if you, if you bear one another's burdens, you will fulfill the law of Christ, which is love. Loving your neighbor as yourself. That was, we were told that in chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's fulfilling the law of Christ. And so when we bear with one another in these times of difficulty, when we're working to gently restore that brother or sister to a walk in the Spirit, we are fulfilling the love of Christ. We're showing the world that we can love. And when, when, when the world sees us love each other and be kind and gentle and patient, have the fruit of the Spirit with each other in our actions, they take notice of that. Because the world is just full of hate and malice and anger and wrath. And it's hungry and thirsty for that kind of love. Romans 13 
Verse 8 says this, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, all are summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And so we love each other. Now to love each other, we're going to have to get to know each other. Right? I mean, you can't just have casual conversations about the weather and sports and COVID and, you know, the, the news and that type of thing. And then, you know, walk away. You're not going to know anything about anybody that way. You don't even know the struggles they have. And so, so to really love each other, you know, this isn't just a sun, Sunday morning social club like the Rotary or something like that. No, this is, we are a covenant band of believers in Jesus Christ here. And so we got to get to know each other, and we've got to be a little bit vulnerable with each other. Now, that, that's hard because we're prideful people, and we don't want to share our struggles with other people because it makes us feel weak and vulnerable. And so we hide that stuff away. We put on the Sunday morning smiles, and everything's good, everything's good, and we smile, and then we go home, and we, 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 we're different people, a lot of us. And brothers and sisters, it just ought not to be that way. And so I want to help us. I want us to, to be genuine with each other and bear one another's burdens and care for one another and love each other and go a little bit deeper in our conversations. Maybe ask, you know, what's the Lord teaching you these days? Well, you know, the Lord's teaching me patience. The Lord's teaching me how to be kind. The Lord's teaching me how to be generous. You know, I just took a 15% pay cut, and it's, it's going to be harder now. Am I still going to be generous and give the way I used to? I don't know. So I'm being tested in those ways. You know, let's, let's have some salty conversations like that, perhaps. That, that takes a little bit of intention, right? Because we're not used to talking to people like that, and it makes us feel vulnerable. I want to encourage us in that way. Not as much sports on TV, so... We don't have as much to talk about in that regard. So, you know, instead of talking about the sports or, you know, the news or whatever, let's talk about some genuine heart things and share some struggles maybe with each other, share some joyous victories with each other. Let's just get to know each other better. And have our hearts be knit together in unity and love. <clears throat> Now, verses 3 through 5 is all about humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves. Look at verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Ouch, Paul. Golly. <laughs> you're nothing. You think you're something like that hymn we just sang. You're a worm. <laughs> I'm like, that just saying I'm a worm? Wow. That's like a new stanza in that grace hymn. Like, I wasn't used to singing that, so I'm like, ah. I just sang I was a worm. Yeah, I guess I am. I'm a joy. I'm joyfully singing. I'm a worm. I'm nothing. But let each one test his own work, verse 4. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So you see, pride keeps us from bearing the burdens of other people. And so here we're taught, hey, look at yourself and see yourself 
as bankrupt and needy because that's what you really are without Christ. <laughs> without Christ, we are just a bunch of bankrupt and needy people. And anything that's good in us comes by the grace of the Lord, not anything that we have done ourselves. This is a repeat of chapter 526 when he says, hey, don't be conceited, provoking each other and envying each other. When you, when you start to get prideful and conceited, that's when you start provoking other people and you start envying other people. He says, don't do that. What makes us tender and generous, meek and humble, sympathetic and helpful toward others is when we realize that they're better than us. Philippians tells us that. Consider others better than yourselves. So when you come to that place in your own heart, when you say, yeah, they're better than me, man, that's freedom. That just frees you up. You're no longer having to compete to win at something all the time. And make yourself look better than other people and competing to beat them at something. No matter what it is, just admit, oh yeah, they're better than me. Man, that's just like, whew, stress just lifted right off you. I don't have to go fishing for ways in my mind now to manufacture how I'm better than them. Don't think that you're something when you're nothing. That'll keep you from doing this work of restoration in a gentle spirit because you'll come at it in a prideful spirit. You know, like, well, if they would just be righteous like me, everything would be okay. Ouch, no, that's not the spirit we do this restoration in. Not at all. The Apostle Paul says this, I can do all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. That's Paul speaking. The super apostle, he does all things through Christ, not his own abilities. And he even gives a long list of all these accolades that he could be proud about. It's all trash to me. It's all dung, he said. All that resume means nothing. I do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And we learned last time that Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We must abide in Jesus if we're to live and bear any fruit. It's Jesus that, produce, that enables the fruit to be produced in our lives, not our own works. Isaiah 64 says this, We are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is like a filthy rag. We will all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So don't think you're something when you're nothing. So the spirit of this verse teaches us to test ourselves and rejoice in the work that God has done in us rather than looking to others to find ways of making ourselves look better than them. And so we look to ourselves. We look to ourselves and not get our comfort from comparing ourselves to others who may be weaker than us, but we get our, our comfort and our strength in Christ. Galatians 6, the, we'll get to this next time, or in the next two weeks, he says, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So if you're going to make your boast, boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where your sin is nailed to. It's not our works. And we see in verse 5 that each one of us is going to give an account of ourselves to God, we all must answer for ourselves and not for our neighbors. <clears throat> Each one of us will be judged by God for our own deeds and will be rewarded accordingly 
when he comes. <clears throat> and so the conclusion of it all is humility, love, gentleness. This is how we go about restoring those who have fallen to sin. Humility, love, gentleness. Now, these conversations can be difficult. So how does this practically play out, right? Someone has fallen to sin. I need to go talk to them about it. How does that work? How does that play out? I want to give us a little bit of help with that because I don't think we're very good at this. Matter of fact, we're really bad at this. We end up hurting a lot of people's feelings when we try to have these conversations. And then we step back from it after the bomb explodes and we're like, well, what went wrong? <laughs> and we try, try to rewind the tape in our mind and we see all the ways we did it right and they just didn't listen and it's all their fault and not ours. Well, probably not. It's probably a little bit of both. I've seen a lot of these things just blow up. We don't know how to do this very well. And so here's some practical principles to follow. First thing you've got to do, like I said earlier, We've got to pray. You gotta pray. You don't, you know, if, if I use a battle analogy, you don't land the ground forces without first doing an air assault. Right? Look at any modern battle strategy. They first call in the airstrike to soften up the enemy, then they approach with the ground troops. Right? So in a situation like this, don't even start talking to people without praying. Praying is like the air cover that comes in. It's like the air assault that goes in first. That's the, the Holy Spirit of God is going to work on their heart and soften that hard, bitter, sinful heart. So we start by praying a lot. Pray. We will accomplish nothing good without God. God is the one who brings about the restoration in their life. Not our clever tactics. God is the one who changes a heart. You know, even with our own children, we can see this as we raise our children. You, know, you can discipline and get behavior change all day long, but you want the heart of that child. And so, you know, you can spank them, you can time out them, you can do all the tactics. And I've seen this with people as they grow up. I've seen, wow. Very well-disciplined kids. Then they get out of the house, and then, boom, they, it's like, what happened to them? They're not walking with God at all. They're in jail. What happened? Well, they got behavior, but they didn't get the heart. And so as we work to restore this one in the spirit of gentleness, our, our ultimate goal is a heart that is right with God. And that walks step by step in the spirit. And so we must pray because it is God who changes the heart of men. Not our clever tactics. And so we start by praying. Then we need to we look at our own heart. We look at our own heart. Remember what Jesus says? Like, why are you trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you got this giant log poking out of yours? You can't see clearly to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. If you've got this big log in your own, so you got to look at yourself. And so look to yourself. Get your own walk with God right before trying to correct others. Take a, take a deep look into your own heart. 
and ask God, God, help me to see where I, might, where I might be prideful or I might have anger or I might have judgmental thoughts in my heart towards this person. Help me, God, to, to do this in a spirit of love and kindness to, to build up and not to, to tear them down. <clears throat> so we must look at our own hearts. And so as we're praying for that one we're seeking to restore, we also need to pray for ourselves. God, help me. I am a wretched sinner. Help me, God. I can do nothing without your goodness in my life, God. Then when you're in a conversation and you're trying to talk to them about it, take them to Jesus. Have it be about what Jesus says and not your own opinion, because our opinions don't really matter. Okay, It's got to be about what's in God's word. Okay, so when they, when they start to argue with you, which they probably will, it's going to be about what's in God's word and not what you think or what I think. Because we can get different opinions all over the place. What does God's word say? And you know, as, as part of that process, you might find out, well, maybe they're not even in, maybe they're not sinning. Maybe they're just doing something I didn't like. <laughs> maybe they're just behaving in a way that I didn't like, and it's not really against God's word. Maybe it's just something I didn't like. It's my opinion that they're violating or my convictions that they're violating. So take them to God's word. Show them chapter and verse. Again, with kindness, humility, gentleness as you're doing this. Now, when conversations become difficult and you sense there's an argument happening or it's escalating, be aware of what's going on in the conversation. And if that thing's starting to escalate, if you're starting to, you know, hearts start to beat faster, you know, you feel it. Oh, maybe my face gets flush and red, or, you know, maybe my heart starts beating faster, or I'm just, and you can tell maybe their voice is escalating, you know, starting to get heated. It's like, whoa, 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 okay. Let, let's, you wanna keep things safe, right? You wanna create a safe place for you to have a dialogue for you to talk this through. And so if you notice that starting to happen, just call time out. Hey, can we just start over? I, I can see, use these words. I can see this is starting to get escalated. My, my intention here is not to have an argument. I, I can tell you're, you're starting to get upset. Can, can we just pause? Like control your emotion. Part of the fruit of the spirit is self-control, right? And so you're praying, God, help me to have self-control. This is not my place to lose my emotions, to lose control of my emotions. Sometimes we think, oh, we're justified in losing control of our emotions. I'm trying to correct this sinner, right? So it's, it's justifiable. No, it is not. Right? It's on us to control ourselves, self-control. And so when we feel that thing starting to escalate, learn to look for that. Train yourself to look for that. God, help me to see that happening and help me to, to de-escalate, calm things down. Gentleness, kindness, uh, kindness, meekness, humility, right? Remember those things. Make it a safe place to talk. Now, the person you're talking to, I'm going to give you a, a, some clues here. When people are confronted and they don't feel safe, they're going to go one way or another. They're either going to go to silence, like they're just going to shut down, or they're going to go to violence. That's the escalating. And you're, you're going to see it. If you start watching for these things, you're going to see it. They've shut down completely. 
across the arms, looking down. And you've seen it, like they just want to get out of this conversation as quickly as they possibly can. They'll tell you anything you want to hear. Yep, you're right, yep, you're right, yep, you're right. Let's get out of here as soon as I can. When is this gonna be over? Okay, bang, and they're gone. <laughs> I didn't mean to hit that. Everybody's awake now. So you'll see it, they'll shut down, they'll go to silence. Now that's a problem. So the same things happen. They might be being violent with you, raising their voice, etc. but they're not feeling safe, they're not talking to you. You have no dialogue. You're just preaching at them. They're not likely even hearing you. All right, so watch for that, the same thing. If you see them going to silence, like, hey, can we just start over? I can tell you're, you're not comfortable talking right now. Can we start over? Maybe we even not need to talk on a different day. Right, so, so try to feel that out and pray for God's help with that. <clears throat> Make it safe. Show them that you genuinely care and have love for them. And be patient with them. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And then another thing to watch for is master your stories and get to the facts. We tell ourselves a lot of stories in our minds with very few facts. We jump to conclusions about other people's motives and actions with very little facts to go on. Maybe one shred of a fact. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, our stories are almost always wrong. When we actually start to get to the facts and get to what's actually happening, we find our stories are very wrong. And we jump to a conclusion, and we haven't shown love or grace or mercy. We've just started judging. And so get to the facts. Master your own stories. Tell yourself even in your mind, now that's probably a story that might not even be true. I need to get to the facts. And be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Your anger, your judgments will not produce the righteousness of God. That's James chapter 1. And then lovingly share the facts that you have. I see that you might be abusing alcohol. I see that you might be in this improper relationship that's not honoring God. I see you might be doing this. Talk tentatively. Try to understand what the facts really are. And then you will know better how to, how to respond and where you can take them in God's word to help them. And that's the next thing you need to do. Take them to Jesus to help them. Don't whack them over the head with the Bible, but lovingly and gently teach them God's word and pray that they would respond in repentance and show them all the fruit of the Spirit. Show them love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, you'll never be able to do this when you're not spiritual if you're walking in the flesh, or if you've never even trusted in Christ for your salvation, you will never be able to do this. And so you must be spiritual. First, you've got to trust in Christ for your salvation. And if you haven't done that, I beg of you to do that today. Trust Jesus today for your salvation. And for those of us that have trusted, we need to be walking in the Spirit. Pray that God would help us walk in the Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And let's love one another and bear one another's burdens, all for the glory of God and to strengthen his bride, the church. Amen.